Welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly amuse-bouche for the ears, wetting your appetite through your earbuds to prepare you for the culinary feast that is beautiful, Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Al Mancini. Our producer, Rich Johnson, is out of town this week visiting what I'll call our Portland office. I can only hope he's enjoying some maple logs and avoiding that salad trip pizza at Shakey's he told us about last week. Because uh, I'm definitely going to need his help cobbling together my work at the end of this. And there's some good work coming. I am not alone, not all alone at least this week. Later in the show, Jason Harris and I will be joined by chefs Dan Cromer and Gino Bernardo, who will chat about what it's like cooking for the rich and famous, whether it's in their homes, in their private clubs, or in the cases of the world's top musicians backstage at concerts and festivals. And the timing on that conversation could not be better. Las Vegas, of course, will be the center of the musical universe this weekend as the Life is Beautiful Festival returns, bringing an all-star lineup of musical superstars such as Billie Eilish, Green Day, Tame Impala, ASAP Rocky, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Megan Thee Stallion, who I know did a lot of dirty stuff on TV last time I heard about her, so God bless her, I love her. And they're all coming to the streets of downtown Las Vegas. And to get you in the mood for that show, we are coming to you for this segment from Peyote in Ferguson's downtown on Fremont Street, which they are telling me is within the festival footprint, which means it's inside the festival gates. You're going to need a ticket to the show to get into Ferguson's downtown during Life is Beautiful. But they are on Fremont between 10th and 11th. I mean, I'm looking around this space, and this is brand new. It hasn't opened in the public yet. And I have two of the owners with me, two of the partners with me, Justin Kingsley Hall and Kim Owens. Guys, the place looks great. Are you excited? I think I'm beyond excited. Uh, <laughs> being downtown, you know, it was one of my true loves, so being able to have Main Street Provisions uh, open up and now to be part of Peyote inside of Ferguson's and kind of stretch that you know, that grasp onto downtown, have fires in two places, um, you know, my, my excitement level is building quickly. How about you, Kim? How are you feeling? Very excited about how this, how this collaboration has come together. It's some talented people, um, a, an incredible menu, great bar program. The space is sexy. Um, and, you know, it's a five-minute drive from Main Street Provisions to Peyote, and it's an easy drive. Yeah, and I need to give people your background. So let's start with Justin, because um, I've known Justin longer. That is the only reason. Um, so it's the length of the age of the relationship or <laughs> beauty we're going to go with on this one. Justin's a chef who I actually met while he was in um, teaching culinary school at the Art Institute of Las Vegas. At that point, you already had a pretty impressive resume. I believe you'd been to, at work, you'd worked at Kumsa and some other really cool places. I followed your career literally into the parking lot of one one of Las Vegas's top dive bars, Dino's Lounge. But you know, I do spend a lot of time in dive bar parking <laughs> lots. I have to be honest. Um, then you went on to be on the opening team of Sparrow and Wolf, which I want to talk to you about. Talk to you about that shortly. Then you decided to tap into the energy of downtown Las Vegas, opening the kitchen at, at Atomic, which is just a few blocks from where we are right now. And that's where I came in with Chef Hubert Keller on PBS, and you had to make the burger. Master of Burger. Do you remember that, man? Oh, I remember it because uh, I feel like I, I had some good nerves going on that one, and then uh, Hubert stepped in the room, and I mean, he's just always a sweetheart of a person, just helps you settle down and make you feel welcome like you can do anything. 
you, you did. You put out some great food for us at that one. And it's kind of cool because all throughout the pandemic, about every six months, some PBS channel somewhere would start rerunning that season that you bear shot here in Las Vegas. And people would call me or send me messages to tell me how ugly I looked and to <laughs> how good the food looked that um, you guys were making on that one. So if you guys do get a chance to check out Yves Keller's um, Secrets of a Chef, Love in Las Vegas season anywhere in reruns, make sure you check out Justin at, um, at the Kitchen at Atomic. But he's no longer there. And if you want his food now, you're going to have to go over to to Main Street Provisions. Um, Main Street Provisions opened on Main Street, of course, in the Arts District, which is one of the hottest, coolest up-and-coming neighborhoods in Las Vegas for food and just being hip. You guys, Kim and Justin, opened that place in the middle of the pandemic. Kim, you brought a lot of um, background from being at Del Frisco Steakhouse, and you know, so you you know a bit about the corporate world. Have you worked at like any indie restaurants here in Las Vegas prior to that? No, actually, I moved to Las Vegas to start with Del Frisco's in 2000, and uh, stayed with them for 17 years. Left and decided, why not open a restaurant on my own? Fell in love with the Arts District, and here we are today. And man, the buzz has been nonstop since you opened at Main Street Provisions. Obviously, you both have tremendous reputations in this town, but this is not a forgiving town. If you had even opened, despite all the problems of the pandemic, if you guys hadn't been doing a phenomenal job, people would have been talking really quickly, but instead they started talking about how you guys really pulled it off, opening at the worst point possible. And you probably have one of the most buzzed about openings of this year. And the buzz is all positive. So how are you feeling about Main Street Provisions getting off the ground in year one? Well, I'll tell you, you know, nowhere in your business plan do you ever plan to open in the middle of a pandemic, for sure. Um, so that was very interesting. We opened to 37 seats, and we were able to fill them quickly. And the response has been incredible to the food, to the bar program, to the service that our team provides every day. Um, it's been very well received. The neighborhood is just absolutely going nuts right now. The, um, the arts district is growing and growing exponentially all through this pandemic. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's been great to meet new guests and the support from the community has been incredible. So, Justin, how are you feeling about it, man? You know, I, w I was really concerned there in the beginning because I think we were the most anticipated opening for a couple years, you know, through some construction snags, the world <laughs> shutting down. Um, it just, it was one of those things like, you know, when are we going to open? And people's ideas kept growing, growing, and we opened up and everybody walked in and, you know, what they thought the room was going to look like was, you know, nothing close. We were far beyond their expectation on that. Uh, for some reason, a lot of people had this expectation that I was going to do barbecue, which I've never done. You know, and they're like, well, you know, you do a lot of wood fire. And I was like, yeah, I just I use it to cook like you would cook every day. Um, you know, and the well, menu let, for let's be fair. I mean, because I didn't mention this in your intro, you do not just use wood fire to cook like people do every day. I mean, you are the founder of Whiskey in the Wilderness, which is one of the most badass culinary events Las Vegas has ever known. For those of you who haven't had the pleasure to do this, it's basically Justin lures the top chefs from the top restaurants in Vegas out of their, their posh kitchens with big bottles of whiskey <laughs> and gets them to go way the hell out. Well, Vegas, nothing's way the hell out, but kind of in the shadow of Mount 
Charleston. And I think you guys drink all night and tend to fires before the public shows up. And then um, we show up, and you're all kind of a little tipsy with some great food that was cooked over open fire. Have I explained whiskey in the wilderness correctly? <laughs> uh, as the idea came to me uh, in a drunken state of watching The Revenant, uh, yes, you described it perfectly. <laughs> okay, so you you do have a reputation for doing more than just cooking with open fire the way regular people do. Okay, let's be fair there, man. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, uh, so, you know, I think it kind of helped that people had time to have these wild ideas go all over the place. And then we opened up and we started putting the food in front of them, uh, and they were loving it. And we were excited about what we could do in the area. Um, I think the big feeling was that it was a menu that people didn't recognize from anywhere else in the city, you know. And that was the idea when we built the menu is that you're not going to at least take this and go somewhere else and try and compare, you know, well, you know, the pea beans and rice over here is, you know, different than Main Street or, you know, the uh, the quail gumbo at this restaurant is so much better. So, you know, luck, love it or hate it and stuff, you know, the experience was going to be unique. And I think that's it. You know, you say people expected it to be barbecue and they know that you cook over open fires, but I think it's the, the thing that's carried through and it carries through with so much of your cooking, is this certain rustic, this respect for rustic roots, this kind of respect for the campfire culture, if, if it is, mm. and, and for, for rural culture and for the, the truly beautiful and delicate cuisine that can come out of, I guess, what a lot of us city folk call flyover areas, <laughs> you know? Um, and is that something you intentionally try to do, or is that just in your roots from traveling, or where does that come from? Uh, I think there's a definite intention to it, but it, it grew out of an experience and time of, uh, you know, being in the military and, and all of us eating together and, and spending time at people's houses cooking um, to time with chefs over the years and, you know, being in a backyard, drinking and cooking. And it was always the best conversations. It was always the, the situation was built to create an atmosphere to be a community, to spend time with one another. Um, so at that point, noticing all that, that's the attention in my food became that, you know, I wanted to create something that people could feel comfortable around. It made them want to sit at the table longer. Um, it wasn't trying to, you know, blow you away, you know, w with the art of it. Um, you know, you definitely want eye appeal. Um, you know, but that's, uh, that's found in a lot of ways. You know, some people sculpt, some people paint, um, but it's all beautiful. You know, one of the restaurants that you were at for a brief period of time, but I think an important restaurant, is Sparrow and Wolf. So this is the part of the show where I always talk about where I've been this week, and mm -hmm. I'll get to hopefully a bit more. Negroni week kicked off. You can check my blog about that. Um, we'll talk, you know, talk about some fun things. But I went back to Sparrow and Wolf um, this week, and being there, I, I'd always – and first of all, it was phenomenal. That, you know, for a restaurant that's probably one of the most highly acclaimed restaurants in Las Vegas – they just deliver. They knock the ball out of the park, and there's so much hype around it that it would be easy for them to give you a 9.5, and you would say, ah, they suck, right, even though it's a 9.5. <laughs> but they didn't. They delivered a 10-plus for me the other night, or very, very close, a 9.9 at least. Uh, but what I was thinking while I was dining there is that I, when, you, when you were there with Chef Brian Howard, I always felt there was a little bit of a, sort of a tension between your two styles, that Brian was about dressing everything up, and you were kind of about stripping everything down to a certain <laughs> rusticness. Um, but there's something over time, I think your styles have come together, in that you both draw on the best of both worlds, and that there, there's a mutual respect for both the artisan cooking that comes from fine dining, but also for that homey 
down home, you know, family gathered together and maybe eating leftovers in front of the fireplace at home after you've gone <laughs> to your restaurants, right? And uh, I'm wondering how you view your time that you spent at Sparrow and Wolf with Brian, one of the most acclaimed chefs here in Las Vegas, and now you being, you know, on your own doing things. Were you guys two sides of the same coin or were you from different worlds that learned off of each other? What was the vibe like working with him and what did you take from that? Um, I mean, it's funny because people talk about the short time at Sparrow and Wolf and, uh, and you, you have to understand like a whole backstory to that, you know, because although the restaurant had only been open, I think at nine months at that point when I left, um, there was, I think about three years before that of being with Brian doing pop-ups R&D, um, you know, we had looked at other locations and we're supposed to get open and, you know, things didn't happen in one spot. And now Tacotarian's in that location. Um, we were going to be in, you know, where the addict's at. And now that place caught fire. Um, oh, so, there, so there's a long history to that. And going all the way back to my first job in Vegas being with Brian. Um, so you talk about those styles. I remember being in the office with one time and talking about specials. And he looks at me and he goes, what you're just all about this fucking rustic shit. And I was like, yeah, well you're always trying to put 20 fucking ingredients in a fishbowl. And, uh, and I, I so appreciate it. And there's times in my cooking that I, I want to dress things more and I, I want to be more handsy. Um, but it's, it's moments, it's flashes. And, uh, but my, my love is more, yes. And that, that rustic kind of a broken plate in front of you. Um, and Brian, you know, he, he definitely has those moments of, rustic like elegance and everything um but his finesse on a plate is definitely i think you know his highest talent so you know you can call it two sides of a coin um you know i think at certain points it's just being uh you know at different train stops along the way but like you know being in the same direction with each other um so it's I, I hate to blow smoke up the ass of my guests because I was just accused of, you know, kind of just blowing you guys for the hell of it because like, to get you on. But um, two of the best meals that I've had this year, now granted, it's been a slow year, but um, probably two of the three best meals I've had were at Sparrow and Wolf and at Main Street Provisions. And I think I might throw Delilah in there as the third, right, um, off the top of my head right now. So, you know, the idea of this chef culture that, that has been cultivated and people being each other's friends in this town – um, it's not bullshit, man. And you know, we see it in the results of all these great chefs that come out of each other's kitchens. Yeah, I mean, definitely in other cities you have these, these friendships, these communities. But there's something special about Las Vegas where no matter if you do a food truck or you're, you know, the chef of Guy Savoie, like if you want to do good things and you have a good attitude about it, like everybody wants to spend time with each other and they want to learn off of each other. And that was, you know, that was Brian opening his doors to me when I first moved here. He's like, you know, he talked about, the whole pig cooking and from scratch and he's like yeah man he's like i'll show you and just and you know he introduced me to people and and brought me right in um and i was really interested and so you know if you have that mentality then there's people here to cultivate it um so that was very special to to get it along that way so we talked about where I've been this week, and again, I'll just run down a few others, and actually right now I'm going to throw in a little little quote from Negroni Week, because I did go to the Negroni Week kickoff party over at, um, at Alcelito Posto in Tivoli Village, and um, I chatted with their barman about the Negroni specials that they're going to have for all the way through this coming Sunday. So here's a little bit of um, David Bonatesta telling us about what they're doing there, but keep in mind Negroni Week going all week long at a lot of Las Vegas restaurants for charity. 
So what can you tell me about the four Negronis that are on the menu here right yeah. now? So it's actually three Negronis and then a spritz. So okay. one is a classic Negroni. Uh, then we have a Campari spritz versus the Apro spritz, so it's a little more bitter. Uh, and then we have, I would say, two different style of Negronis. One is a little richer and savory, darker, uh, a little more bitter. And then another one that is a little more on the floral, fruity side, uh, that utilize apricot uh, as well as uh, blanc vermouth. Uh, and they both use like gin as well. Okay, so that's Negroni Week. I wanted to get that plug in for our friends over at Osolito Posto. I also know Sparrow and Wolf's doing Negroni Week. We're a restaurant. Guys, are you doing a Negroni Week menu at... Um, at Main Street Provisions? So we are not along the ride, but we are actually going to donate a dollar from every Negroni cocktail that we serve um, during Negroni week. Cool. Sorry to put you on the spot there. No, That's no. We're hear. very, very excited about <laughs> it. You should be like, fuck charity and fuck Negroni. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Eat bitter food, not bitter cocktails. Sorry. Oh, love no. bitter cocktails. No, you guys are awesome. Um, so where have you been over the past week or so? Over the past week. Or maybe, okay, maybe the past <laughs> month. Yeah, when's the last time you Here get out? Here at Peyote, <laughs> Al. <laughs> yes, and we have chatted about Peyote. But now what, what are you liking that's new? Let's just say that this year, right, because it's been a weird pandemic year. What's opened up that, that you're really digging, or what have you rediscovered? Arts District alone, there's been so many beautiful things that have opened up. Um, and opening a restaurant, you know, you don't necessarily, you know, go too far from uh, from that location. But, I mean, you know, you've had Cerveza open up in the Arts District. Great, you know, beer bar. Um, micheladas are, are amazing there. And the vibe that the guys have going is, is incredible. Um, you go over, you know, Valencia and Gold uh, just showed up with, you know, fire, just blazing fire and paellas. Um, so that, that's been an incredible um, addition to the, to the city. Anything for you, Kim? Silver Stamp in the Arts Uh, District. I mean, what they're doing there. That is a bar. Yes. um, What they're doing there is incredible. Valencian Gold is the place that I need to get to. Quite honestly, with opening, you know, in December, Mm -hmm. really haven't had much time to get out. And I I have so much catch up work to do. Well, I want to remind everybody they can come over to uh, my blog, which is theneonmohawk.com, and every week, about two days after this episode drops, we put links to all of the places that people recommended, so you'll be able to find maybe some photos of these places and some links to them. We're going to come back and speak to our guests um, about what they're cooking for fans at Life is Beautiful. Before we do, did you ever wonder what the food is like backstage at a big concert like Life is Beautiful? Or what your favorite star eats, either backstage on the tour bus or in his or her mansion? Jason Harris and I will speak to a couple of chefs who know this is Food and Loathing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini with Jason Harris and our producer, Rich Johnson, joining you for this segment from the private dining room of one of Las Vegas' best seafood restaurants, Other Mama. And joining us today is the owner of Other Mama, a brilliant chef, off-strip dining pioneer, and someone I've always been proud to call my friend. I hope he feels the same way. <laughs> Mr. Dan Cromer. Hey, Dan. Hey, guys. I really appreciate being here. Uh, it's uh, all the different types of settings we've sat down to each other with each other in this place. Uh, it's nice to see this evolution. First, yeah. first time we've all had headphones on. Yes. True. <laughs> uh, also joining us today from Idaho, where he's cooking for the rich and famous, is a brilliant chef who once responded to me sneaking into the lounge of his restaurant after giving the place a bad review, not by kicking my ass or cursing me out, but by sending me out a batch of dishes he hoped would change my mind. And it worked. I have been a fan of Gino Bernardo ever since. Hey, my brother, how are you? How's Idaho? <laughs> What's up, guys? Doing good. Doing good. Great to see you all. You too, Gino. Uh, Al, I got to tell you, once he sent me just radishes, and I thought that was a ballsy <laughs> move, but that's a story for another time. Um, yeah. That was good. That was a good time. But the reason we're having both of you guys on, you know, Life is Beautiful is right here, and you've both spent large portions of your career cooking for celebrities, the 1%, the beautiful people. Uh, Dan, you've cooked at Life is Beautiful, so and you've cooked at a lot of different concert venues, concert tours, not just for the fans, but for the artists themselves. Um, so I'm going to give a little background on you. You studied Japanese cuisine in Sacramento, L.A., Japan, and uh, worked with Morimoto in Philadelphia. You took a job with a company called Tada Catering, which feeds musicians on the road. That job took you to Warp Tour, and you were cooking at Coachella, and later you were the head chef of Taylor Swift's Red Tour, and Rich is squealing like a little girl, even though you can't see it over there. So you've done a lot of different types of concert cooking for a lot of stars. Is it safe to say that what the musicians eat is different from what the fans are eating? Definitely. Um, you know, especially in this past years, uh, there's no longevity in eating corn dogs and nachos uh, five nights a week and, you know, different things, you know, stuff you may find in the show or just normal people. These people are, they're athletes. It's a very, very difficult job. Uh, they're constantly on the road. Um, you know, people like Metallica and stuff. I mean, those guys look great and they're still rocking four hour sets. And, you know, like I couldn't do that. Um, it's because they take care of themselves and they eat really, re really well on the road. And I think kind of like a professional athlete, you know, in the off season, you kind of splurge a little bit and then you get yourself back in shape. Have you ever had to adjust a rock star's diet to get them uh, to peak shape? I mean, I've gotten a lot of people out of some massive hangovers before. <laughs> um, you know, we're kind of more witch doctors, kind of help me out in the back, you know, like a little Red Cross nurse. Um, you know, there's definitely, there's different tiers. There's some guys that have very specific stuff that they want ordered, stuff that's in their dressing room. Some people are in pretty strict juice programs. Um, some guys want to be eating what everybody else has eaten and don't care. Uh, it's really all over the board. And uh, I've, but I really see the guys who are uh, touring every year, um, like Shine Down and Avenged Sevenfold and people like that. Like they're really healthy people. They're like, or, or like LeBron James and people like that that have showed you know, reinvesting in yourself is something that's really important if you want to have a long career. You talk about the hangover cures, so I do want to get into that. I think Kid Rock was the first guy I ever knew who actually legitimately told me that he just had case, and I, I saw them on the tour bus, cases of Pedialyte. Like, that was it. Just like, they, they, they rehydrate the next day on Pedialyte. But what's your rock band hangover cure, man? 
cold pressed juice machine is amazing. I mean, that stuff is, is nectar of the gods and um, just different blends with that. And, you know, honestly, it's just like your mom or something. There's a psychological factor of having someone just pat you on the back and say, here you go. It's going to be okay. You know, take a nap in here for 30 minutes. And, you know, people come back and just be like, thanks, man. Gino, do you have golf course hangovers that you have to worry about with your rich your rich friends over at the Summit no, Club? No, no. <laughs> no gout no hangovers. Okay. Um, hey, Dan, you mentioned uh, like Shine Down, and that I think right now would be like a level of, uh, well, before COVID, someone who was making the bulk of their living touring with the changing industry. What level of stardom do you have to be at to be able to take your own chef on the road with you? I mean, these days it's all over the board. You know, it's really about where you want to spend the money. And, you know, a lot of these tours, they, they look at a whole tour and a full budget and say, does it make sense for me to have local catering in each one of these venues? Or is it going to cost me less by bringing these eight people, flying them around and giving them the hotel rooms and then paying them, you know, like a day rate or something instead of outsourcing it? You know, then you cross-reference that with how many dates do you have for the tour? How much traveling time is there between those things? Carry the one. You have to do this. What makes sense at the end of the day? You know, and there's guys now that, you know, these uh, electronic tours, I mean, there's a minimal amount of people that are going out there. You know, like when I worked with Ed Sheeran, it was really like him and his manager. And he would just go out there and sit on a bar stool and play and everyone would freak out. And, you know, that was it. You know, or Taylor Swift has 18 semis full of props. And then how many of those drivers is that? How many people are you multiplying that by? And are you cooking for all of those? Are you cooking for yes. the drivers, the backup dancers, everybody? Everybody. And, you know, that's a big part of the tour. It's really a, a hard, grittier job than people want to accept. I, I, can't, I always tell people, I'm like, it's really not that romantic. It's really not romantic. They're like, well, tell me a story. Tell me a story. I'm just like, well, it was, you know, five in the morning till 11 o'clock at night. But a big part of bringing chefs along, too, is... They need their uh, riggers to be happy. They need their drivers to be happy. They need their lighting guys to be happy to do a good job. Yeah. So if you have some half-assed catering company and you're rolling the dice in every single city and they're like, oh, man, I had this, you know, raunchy whatever, whatever, and everyone's pissed off. And then the tour manager's, his job sucks because everyone's cranky. They're all sleeping next to each other on the bus. They're all bitching about it on the bus together. I mean, it's yeah. a long way since the 80s, man. When I, I mean, you know, when I first started hanging out in the rock and roll world, man, you know, and I was backstage at a lot of shows and I, I'd read the band's writers. And I mean, it was more like food for 10 people cannot be pizza. And that was it, right? And or like, cannot be Chinese food or pizza. Bring me something decent, and that was it. And you relied in those days on the promoters to bring it. So it's come a long way, for sure. And I think you know, there's different ways of going about it. Uh, with Tada, we had two different types of tour. There's one that was built as a kitchen that was built into a gutted out old Safeway reefer truck. So it still had the walk-in in the back. Then it had a kitchen line, burners, flat tops, and ovens and stuff. And we would just haul that thing around. We park, set up a couple of tents, and cook out of that, as opposed to having equipment and music road tour cases. So it's just the same boxes on wheels, and then all of a sudden you'd be like, oven, da da da, propane, and go. Uh, the one thing I connected with that you said is like, as a filmmaker, I feel the same way as like a well-fed crew is a happy crew because you're going to run into all these problems, but as long as you feed the people, <laughs> they'll be all right. So have you, uh, what's like the craziest problem you have run into as a chef on uh, one of these tours? I mean, the big stuff is, is that you have to be your own 
plumber, electrician, and everything like that. So at like five o'clock in the morning, like I'm running around Soldier Field just trying to find some random maintenance guy mm. that's going to supply me, you know, the power. And also, we're dealing with uh, 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 fresh water and gray water. So you could be out at a festival. These local guys aren't interested in coming by and picking up all that funky water that's coming out of your truck. And next thing you know, you have leaking going on and you have tour manager yelling at you because it's rolling towards the merchandise. And you're yelling at him because he was the guy that was supposed to get it picked up in the first place. So The glamorous life on the road, man. Yeah, there's a lot of variables. I was in great shape when I was doing that stuff. But you'd be receiving deliveries and people all just be in a line uh, carrying like... 40 pound cases you're just passing it like you're in the you know some like fema you know like food truck just trying to pass things that's what i wanted to ask you how do you make sure you have ingredients especially for clients who may you know stars who may be specific you know it has to be organic or something like that how do you make sure when you roll into a town you've got the 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 ingredients waiting you're doing menus are like two weeks out and with a lot of flexibility but you already have a good idea of what you're going to be making when you're in detroit and then depending on the budget of the tour, um, there's some stuff that's literally just punching it into Cisco because, you know, like Vans Warped Tour is not a huge budget. It's a lot of just chicken breast and mashed potatoes and starch and fill people up. Um, or there's sometimes I just call up like, oh, we're going to Chicago and be like, you know, look up the best bakery and be like, hi, I work for Taylor Swift. And you just pull out <laughs> this whole like, throw your cards on the table. And next thing you know, you can get all these custom rolls made and they just want like a signed CD for their granddaughter or something like that. That makes sense. Um, you know, like you've told us about some of the non-glamorous aspects of it, but you know who can tell us about super glamorous aspects of it <laughs> is our man Gino Bernardo over there. Al, why don't you give us some background on Gino? Yeah, Gino, after, man, I met you at Nove Italiano at the Palms, the restaurant I learned to love after one whatever experience. Um, but you went on to open Herringbone in Aria, two other Herringbones in Hawaii and Cabo San Lucas. Cabo San Lucas, also where you took me for some very good tacos um, yeah, we from a little to, uh, roadside stand. Yeah, we went to a roadside stand down, down, almost downtown. That was a good one. That was a outdoor little uh, taqueria that just slang good, you know, good tacos. But the reason that Gino took me to this taco stand is because at the time he was working at the Uber exclusive El Dorado Beach Club in Cabo San Lucas, and there was no way he was bringing my mangy ass into <laughs> that place. This is where like the super rich of the one. This is where the one percenters can't get in. Basically, like it's. I mean, you know, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about some of the you know, super famous people who were there, but lots and lots of A-list celebrities. I mean, it, 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 it was uh, it was pretty surreal. I mean, I did uh, Joe Buck's wedding. I did Adam Levine's wedding down there. Um, cooked for Randy and Cindy Gerber all the time um, in their homes um, at the club. But um, there, there was just so different compared to now we're um, at, in Summerlin at the summit there, like, and even here in Gaza, like 99s here. Uh, I haven't seen the Kardashians, but they're here. Bieber's here. Um, uh, Julia Rancic's And that's where you are here. right now? Where, where are you right now? Because you do work at the I'm Summit at, Club in, in Vegas. Idaho, but Northern Idaho called uh, uh, Gaza Ranch. It's in a town called Coeur d'Alene. Beautiful, right on the lake. And this is like summer summer paradise. Uh, they have a boat. They play golf. Um, but this is where like they let go. This is their... Uh, this is their fun time, so it's it's pretty much, a, it's pretty much a big party up here. So Gaza Ranch, not Gaza Strip, not that would Gaza be a different, different <laughs> experience altogether. And somehow I don't yeah. see the Kardashians ending up at the Gaza Strip. Yeah. So, we can only hope. But <laughs> so, are you cooking for full communities up there, or individual celebrities? How's so, you, so it's a private residential uh, community. So basically, 
you have to buy land and you become a, and then you're a member. Um, and we have in, in at Gaza, there's four different restaurants, um, state of the art um, golf facility right on the lake. Everybody has a boat. Um, they have their homes where they live on the lake. And um, I'm either in, in one of the restaurants part time and then I cook for um, I'm up here this summer cooking for the owner, Michael Melman. So he was the third partner of Casamigos with George Clooney and Randy Gerber. So when these guys throw parties and you're cooking in their homes, man, these got to be some crazy parties. I know you can't say put the name with the party, but like, man, what's some of the most extravagant stuff you've done at any of these places, whether it be El Dorado or the Summit Club or out in Idaho, which who knew that was party? I mean, so far this summer, it's been like just, you know, it, they, the parties start out with like 10 people and then they grow, grow, grow. And um, they're just here. Here it just seems they're a lot more kicked back, relaxed, um, enjoying each other's time, um, especially after COVID. You know, there's a lot of members up here. Uh, some it's very chill. Um, you know, you, you know, just going to um, either I might one night go to Pacher- uh, Max Pacioretty's house, uh, go cook for him and the family. Or you know, a bunch of you know members are up in the clubhouse. Um, El Dorado was was the ultimate party party place. Um, uh, one cool night, I was in a uh, Jimmy Burrow's house, and that's the guy that produced um, Cheers and Friends. And George Strait came over for dinner. We cooked, and then like an hour later, George Strait just picks up the guitar and plays like an hour you know, solo set of just jamming and everything like that. Um, so things like that were just very common at El Dorado. Gazer's just been cool, you know, like I see, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky, 99 a lot. I cook for him either at his house or um, at Melman's house. He's really cool, laid back. Julia Rance again, her husband, or, or chill. Randy Gerber and Cindy Crawford have been up there. But they've just been like this summer just seems like everybody is just, you know, relieved of, of being able to, you know, hang out and uh with each other's company you know you you talked about like george Strait coming by and just jamming out and i think that's great that you're telling the music stories damn backstage on a tour do you hear a lot of music or are they just so tired of playing on stage that like no way they're not gonna jam you randomly get something maybe like an after party but like it, it gets super monotonous and i hate you know it's it's It'd be different cities and all this stuff, and it'll be like exactly when you're putting out usually like the second round of like the salad bar, you hear like the same song at the same time, and you catch yourself. You're like, you were my biggest <laughs> You know, and, you know, I had this buddy um, work for Disturb, and he would just be like mashing mashed potatoes and be like, wow. <laughs> like constantly like dude just shut up shut see up. that's a point for, for gino and myself and actually you al because we're from jersey and springsteen never repeats a set list but that's beside the point al hates it wouldn't be a boss. show if jason didn't mention new jersey jason <laughs> yeah, jersey the man. see gino's got that pride jason mentions new my, jersey when, North. I, when, but I, when al- I was a kid i used to sneak into the stone pony because my father had a tattoo shop in asbury park um and he used to take me there as a young kid so i used to see Bruce, really, really young. I'm talking like uh, 84, 85, you know. Well, look then. at that, Al. Look, look at, that. at that. All I'm saying is Jason <laughs> names drop, or mentions New Jersey more than Chris Christie if he was writing the liner notes for Springsteen Greatest Hits album. Wait a second. Let's focus on what's important here, uh, me being right again. But uh, you guys, we're talking, you kind of touched on it, Gino and Dan. You're here, too, and cooking for a lot. What about some crazy Vegas stories with some of the stuff you guys have done? 
Uh, so, oh, you go, Dad, brother. And I was going to say, Gino, at the Palms, I mean, you were at the Palms at Nove Italiano during the George Malouf heyday when, days, like, yeah. when oh, that, that was like everybody was, was back, up there. Back then, it was just, it was crazy back then. I mean, just the, the people walking in, the people walking out, um, just the celebrities, just the, it, back, you know, the Palms, that was the era. I mean, Nine Steakhouse, Nove, Moon, the Playboy Club. I mean the 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 gambling and the the sex and the sex that you saw and just craziness. It, it was a, it was the best time of, of my my life in Vegas. It, it was as funny. far as seeing. It was uh it was very unique with Georgia. Uh, made happen at that at that era of las vegas i was at a party this past weekend with a lot of former hard rock employees and all of them had worked there during the um the peter morton days and they were comparing stories on the largest piles of cocaine that they had ever seen at the hard rock <laughs> like sugar bowls full of cocaine so just for the hell of it largest pile of cocaine you guys have seen during your job anybody anybody want to tackle that one <laughs> Rich is raising his hand. (laughs) Ooh, I think the most... Well, the nice thing about doing the concert stuff, which I miss, is that they were contract jobs. Most coke, I mean... But vacationing in real Panama between speed, jobs. Well, you know, I don't remember who was in there, but the real world speed, I mean, there there was coke on every table, you know. Awesome. Every girl, you know, doing bumps off girls' asses, you know. Oh, God. Love rock and roll. I do love rock and roll. (laughs) Do, Do you guys have a favorite, like, thing that you've gotten to cook that like all parameters are off you can go balls to the wall any level of prices uh you know on the table i mean have you been in that scenario or i mean i think you have been on that scenario correct yeah definitely um again like different tours at different budgets taylor swift was pretty dang open-ended um definitely been in houses i i personally hate doing the in someone's house when they go like blow my mind you know? and you're like i don't care what it's cost just blow my mind and i'm like that sucks i don't some, like give me some limitations that's a lot more fun for me yeah but i'm sure gino sees a lot more of that up the hill i mean i'm pretty uh, i'm pretty spoiled up at the summit club and even with discovery i mean so food food and beverage at these resorts and these and these uh communities we're an amenity so i mean my food costs like if i come in at 65 percent uh, I get a pat on the back, you know what I mean. So I, 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 I can splurge, you know. We we splurge every day, all day, you know. The, the price really. I tell vendors, and they're like, they still sometimes can't fathom. I go, I don't care what it costs. I just want it, you know. Yeah. So I mean, I, I fell into a gig where you know we, as a chef, I could express myself. And, you know, not have to worry, like, oh, my God, what's the senator plate? How much am I going to charge? I mean, if I make 50 percent on it, it, that's amazing. So here's a question. Do rich people have better taste than the average diners? Do they have more expensive taste as a general rule? (laughs) I think more expensive taste. I think they're more well-rounded, too. I mean, a lot of the athletes that I've cooked for and celebrities, they travel everywhere. So they know good. They know they know good stuff versus that bad stuff. You know, how about you, Dan? I remember being really disappointed when I was younger in my career when I told her just came to the conclusion that they didn't eat something more special than normal people. But uh, no, I uh, any high end event I've ever done that had a past hors d'oeuvre, hands down, without question, most popular has always been uh, grilled cheese fingers with mm-hmm. tomato soup. <laughs> um, without a question. That sounds delicious. <laughs> 
And, and we're not talking Chris Santos style, like no, they're more homey, and they always get the people in the kitchen like, oh, can I eat the crust? You know, because you're trying to cut it all fancy to make it look like it's something more than everyone wants that food memory. I think you know, um, you want the, you want comfort food, but you want it elevated. You want nicer dishes. You want higher quality products. You want better looking people serving it. You know, you want model servers. You want model bartenders. Your house. You want, you know, the top quality. But I don't find that the recipe itself changes really. Well, one thing you t- talked about earlier with that soldier field, it just sounds like such a crazy setup. Is that the craziest setup you've had or what's the craziest setup you've had to cook in? I mean, it goes from that to like 4-H fairgrounds in Oklahoma to, I used to hate coming into Vegas because that truck had no air conditioning. It would be like middle of late summer in the Luxor parking lot. And we're just pouring, you know, (laughs) and then drinking like energy drinks to like thinking that's going to help us and like going on the walk in like, and we could have a heat stroke. When I used Uh, to spend a lot of time backstage at House of Blues, speaking of coming into Vegas, a lot of the bands liked it because they put out like a pretty nice um, spread in the green room for the bands. That's a great venue. And that's why you don't see much other catering going on here in town unless it's a festival. It's passing through because if they have a a venue within the hotel, they also have their in-house catering as well. And it's nice because it's self-contained. You're not leaving from your bus to here, go to here. I mean, it's gross sometimes. You're really just trying to brush, you know, at the, the, you know, at the fairgrounds, you mm. know, there's animal stalls and things, and there's a <laughs> high number of flies where animals are. And, like, you literally just have one person kind of going around and shaking their hands, you know. Talk about farm to table, though. Do you know yeah, what you know, try to buy those animals, slaughter them, and serve them right there for that Randy Gerber crew? And I want to know who the guy is who is the, um, the fly-shoeing person on the tour budget right like yeah i'm going out with metallica what do you do i shoo the flies away it's the guy with a nice personality (laughs) that you just kind of brought along but on the flip side of you guys you've cooked on jets and yachts and the whole no jets or yachts uh you know we transport you know we fly on the jets and stuff like that to venues but uh a majority of my stuff was uh cooking in trailers or mobile kitchen stuff that was set up and a lot of it would be served uh kind of in a ugly convention-y little <laughs> box, you know, and you have a friend of the house that tries to make folding tables look as pretty as possible. And and that's really like a lot of it. And then people, stuff in people's houses, a lot of private villa stuff in Anguilla I do during the wintertime when I wasn't on tour and doing that kind of stuff. But uh, no. I Gino, have you girl. cooked on a yacht or a jet? A yacht, yeah, not a jet. <laughs> I've eaten on a jet, but I haven't cooked on a jet. <laughs> I've never been on a private jet. I'm really sad about that. Somebody I think it's something to strive for, and one of these two guys is probably your ticket to get there. I've always said I, I don't really want to be rich, but if I ever do go rich, I want to be full-on fuel the jet money. So I'm not, right? I'd rather do the yacht myself. So I guess I'm with you, Gino, on this one. Um, do celebrity? Okay, I asked if they had better taste, but do they have more dietary restrictions? Are they always doing some dumbass thing that Doctor Oz or Oprah told them to do, or whatever they read, or some shit that Gwyneth is selling on Goop? Or you know, do they eat like regular people? Uh, I mean, for me, like they're they're they all every they all have diets. They go, you know, probably Dan too. They go up and down. You know what I mean? One week they're eating this, one week they're eating that. Um, one week they're into juicing, then it's, you know, whatever the new fad is or whatever they heard at their, you know, from that inner circle of celebrities and athletes. I think that's what they follow. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'm sure you see a lot more rotation, but yeah, I think when I was doing the tour stuff, that's when all that like PX90 videos or whatever everybody was doing. And I felt like everyone was trying to do that stuff and was into something going on. But 
but that's the fun part. I mean, it's, it's listening. That's what we do. You didn't do any P90X with Taylor Swift? No, no, <laughs> no. I wouldn't shame myself like that. Who's the worst? Who's the worst? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the worst? Who do you know? never want to work yeah. for again? Yeah. Who's the worst? <laughs> Who's the worst what? You know, celebrity. celebrity. Burn a bridge person. for us here. Yeah. Come on. Well, this is going back. To the, the, this is going back to the Nove days. So we, me and Barry, well, I had a celebrity chef tour that I would get celebrities, athletes to come in and sign. And then we, I would auction it off. And I auctioned one off at uh, St. Paul Ricks. And the only person that didn't come back there back in the day was A-Rod. And I'm a Yankee mm. fan. And it really pissed me off, like extremely. <laughs> and then um, so fast forward, you know, I moved to uh, I moved to Mexico in El Dorado, Cabo. And he's a member there at, at El Dorado. And I kind of like rubbed it into his, rubbed it in a little, you know, and it's like, hey, remember me? I was the chef at Nove. He didn't want to come back and sign the door and everything. And he felt, he felt guilty. Did he sign something for you? No, no. Because then <laughs> now like at these resorts, now that where I'm at, it's like you don't take pictures with them. Um and you don't ask him for signatures, you know, yeah. but uh, as a journalist, that was always my rule. And um, I think like a few restaurants have done really well in Las Vegas by having the rule like you can't take pictures of the celebrities. You can't ask for a selfie. Yeah. Um, you know, I know Simon was always great like that at the Palms. Every, I mean, excuse me. Well, at the Palms later, but at first at the Hard Rock. And the deal was, you know, the, the staff just couldn't take pictures and anything like that. I assume that's the same for you guys. But how strict are the privacy concerns? Do you ever have to sign a privacy or a, a non disclosure agreement or confidentiality when i worked with taylor swift we had a moral contract that we had to sign that was basically like because you're out you're not going to be doing drugs you can't get into a bar fight you can't have that's this a, go on that's awesome uh of course everyone's like yeah sure yeah, <laughs> yeah. um but they were very very I, I really respect the way they ran their tour and that you know there was a, an image and a brand and that had to be cohesive and they put us in really nice hotels is it true that she said though you can write poetry about any ex that you feel has wronged you <laughs> <laughs> as long as you keep it under your pillow <laughs> what about you gino uh, confidentiality agreements at any of these joints um, not that you just know the rules, you know what I mean? You know, it's pretty, it's pretty known that people in the past have gotten fired for doing, you know, stupid, you know, things with, you know, celebrities and athletes. But, um, I mean, I've, I've been around it for so long. I kind of, I know what to do. You, you know what I mean? I know what I can say and what I can't say. Yeah. What about partying with the guests or even, yeah, I mean, really just anybody famous, like you're allowed to, if, if you're lucky enough to hook up with somebody on the tour, is that okay? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's. I mean, yeah, I definitely, I definitely had my fair, fair shares of drinks, and you know, enjoyed. We enjoyed company. Um, like for me, like they love just having the chef around and everything like that. So it, 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 after after cooking and everything like that, it was always a couple glasses of wine or a couple drinks. Yeah, on the tours, I mean, the big thing with that is like you, you got to show up on time, mm-hmm. you know, and you got to get from point A to point B, and if you. You screw, you know, as long as you're fine with that, then you're cool. And if these people are allowing you in there, it's cool. But uh, you see a lot of people that go off the rocker, you know, they get super into it. And each night, it's a little bit later. And then the next day, their eyes are just a little bit wider. And they start getting weird because you could have a 13, 14 day run of very, very long days. And people get out there. Yeah. Um, I got drugged and robbed at a strip club in New Orleans one day. <laughs> Because we're supposed to be back on the bus at Which one? midnight. Uh, barely legal. Okay, I don't know. I, I do know that one. Yeah. 
And uh, last thing I remember was just going in to get a private dance. Next thing you know, I woke up in my room with like bruises all over my side. It felt like I'd been dragged. All my stuff was gone. Uh, the, the bus had left. And uh, I went down to the, the clerk. She gave me like a voucher for a taxi to go to Walmart. I had to call my mom and like ask her. It was the only number I knew, like most people. <laughs> and uh, wire me money. Had a, then the cops took me to the station so I could file a report so I could fly and then i'm like at the airport with no phone like asking people like hey there's this band like do you can you look up where they're playing what tour <laughs> some festival tour i can't remember it was like a late uh fall one but uh yeah, i showed like up voodoo or something it, it was taylor swift you know <laughs> no, no. but uh yeah i showed up i looked like i they thought i was dead uh i almost lost my job and it was on restriction being like you know hey, oh yeah you know. last question and what's the longest tour you were ever on seven months with taylor swift Cool. Well, gentlemen, thank you both for your time. Gino, you go cook for those rich people. And um, one of these <laughs> Thanks, days, brother. I got to get you back in a restaurant that my mangy ass is allowed into because it's been too yeah, long yeah. since you've cooked for I haven't had radishes in a long time. Right? Radish in a long time. Cool. <laughs> Dan, thanks for having us. Thanks for hosting us. And you cook for me quite frequently. I'm glad to have you back in town more full-time these days. And um, everybody should go to Other Mama. We will be back with more. This is Food and Loathing. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini, joined once again by Chef Justin Kingsley Hall in beautiful downtown Las Vegas. We are in Ferguson's downtown on the site of the Life is Beautiful Festival. And if you are listening to this podcast this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Life is Beautiful has arrived and you're probably wondering where to eat. So joining me right now, in addition to Justin, is Jolene Menina, who's not only a partner in this new project, Peyote, the beautiful room in which I'm sitting right now. Um, she's also the genius behind the Vegas Test Kitchen, which is located just next door across this awesome courtyard and out onto the sidewalk. But you, you need to try Vegas Test Kitchen when you're in town. If you listen to this podcast at all, you know that I speak about it just about every fucking week. So you should know a little bit about it by now. Um, welcome, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great. You First day of load-in, so I'm a little sweaty right now. Mm. She's <laughs> always sweating. You smell nice. <laughs> um, Joe, you, you have a tremendous resume, and I didn't write it all out, but one of, the things that, one of the things that stands out for this week is you were the original culinary director of Life is Beautiful, and I realized that there, was, there have been a lot of people that have come and gone. I've gotten in trouble with current Life is Beautiful management for saying that I don't think that they ever replicated the culinary that you put into that first year. And I'll, I'll get in trouble again. I think that they're still doing great food, but it was never as much a culinary festival as that first year that you were there. But it's had ups and downs, and the fact that you're back and doing things again this year makes me feel that this is going to be an up year. How do you feel about Life is Beautiful Food and how it's progressed over the years? I mean, 
first of all, I love the festival in general. I was happy to be a part of it from the beginning. You know, the first year we had a, a big focus on being a food festival. Um, and that's why we had that, like, crazy hit list of chefs. We did all different types of culinary events within the space. And I just think over the years you realize that, um, you make a little bit more money when you were doing a little bit less of the things that I was doing. So it's just slowly started to get cut out. But they're doing a great job. I mean, obviously, you've got activations like what Justin is doing. So um, they're bringing in the local chefs, too. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be great. Yeah, and it has. The last two or three years, there's been a bounce back to trying to create very kind of special culinary experiences. Um, you know, and I remember the years, I remember when Perry Farrell just bringing, like, um, burritos to Lollapalooza was considered wild, right? Because mm-hmm. there's something other than just the hot dogs that you got at every festival. Uh, but culinary now, of course, is a big part of live shows. And you're doing some, both of you are doing some really special things that Life is Beautiful. So I want to tell people where they can go to get your both of your foods. Joe, tell me about this omakase dinner series that you're doing. Yeah, we did. It's omakase cantina. We, um, we started in 2019 at the festival, and I worked with six different chefs to be a part of it. And um, we just wanted to offer something that was a more intimate dining experience for the festival goers, give them something a little bit more high-end, you know. Uh, so we, like I said, we worked with six different chefs. We did um, three different dinners. And for the first year that we did it, we only allowed 12 seats uh, at the table. So it was interactive counter service, one-on-one with the chef. So we're bringing that back this year. We're working with three chefs. We're working with Brian Howard, Sparrow and Wolf, Gina uh, Marinelli from La Strega, and also Nico, who is the executive chef of Gisawa. So we have uh, three completely different menus. <laughs> wow. And explain to people what it is. Do you have to have a concert ticket to do it? Yeah, and then inside, what do you pay in addition? Right. How do you make reservations, et cetera? So this year was a little bit different. Um, you know, no one really knew exactly what was happening with the festival. So things got started a little bit late, to be very transparent. And so uh, this, you have to have a ticket, right? You have to have a festival ticket to get in because it's inside the footprint. Um, we didn't actually sell tickets through Secret Burger. Um, a lot of the tickets are being used for the, our all-in guests. And then the uh, festival awarded some people, uh, random people, for, for seats. Okay, so if somebody does not already has not been taken care of, they're not going to be able to come over and That's book this? right. No, oh. you can't buy a ticket at the door. This is something that uh, has to be organized in advance because there are such limited seats. And we also want to make sure that the chefs are, you know, prepping what they need. There's no waste, anything like that. So it is a little bit more of an exclusive event this year. Okay, cool. Justin, then, I guess you're my man of the people this year, right? Can everybody eat your food? Uh, everybody can eat our food uh, over the three days. Um, we have 12 chefs that are going to be cooking. Tell, tell people what it is you're doing, where you're going to be located. Yeah, so um, I, take, uh, I take part in curating the cookout, uh, which is an open fire experience, of course, during Life is Beautiful. Uh, we're across from the Ogden um, in the parking lot. You'll see the farm stand. A lot of different food experiences going on. Uh, look for smoke, right? You smell it, then you're getting close. Uh, so Farm Stand, which you just mentioned, by the way, is our, our, all of us are friends with Diana Edelman, um, one of the top vegan writers in Las Vegas, and she puts together a little vegan culinary village, yeah. which is awesome, and I, I do like that. I've had some great food, but then right across from that, you're just, you've just got animal carcasses on fire, right? Well, I mean, we, everybody does kind of a combo. You know, we've had some plant-based things um, from people. 
you know, but yeah, there's, there's definitely some meat cookery that goes on, but I think that's kind of the experience, right? You're providing something for everybody and everything that you're providing is thoughtful and quality. So nobody's, nobody's getting slighted on this one. Yeah, and I, I love the fact that there's a little something for everything, and I, I love the fact that, I mean, I've gone directly from Diana's little village of lots of restaurateurs and then come over to yours and had some great dishes. Who are the chefs that you're bringing in for your, your campfire? Uh, so over the, the three days, um, we're going to have uh, chefs from um, this mama's house, Christina Nguyen, um, Sam Marvin from Echo and Rig, uh, China Poblano, uh, Haleo, Milpa, Masazul, Major Domo. Um, I'm going to be there from Peyote. Uh, who else is going to be there? You know, District 1. Um, you know, the list kind of keeps going. On and this, this is for people who are out of town, coming to town for Life is Beautiful. He's just basically rattling. And, and between the chefs he mentioned and the chefs Joe just mentioned, I mean, this is like the all-star Vegas, like, badass chefs lineup. that You just, you mentioned everybody who's practically anybody in this town. Well, the beautiful know. part is it is people from all, all sorts. So we have on-strip, off-strip. You have, you know, the big, the big name restaurants, um, you know, like Major Domo. Um, Chef Mike Rubenstein's coming down. You know, I've worked with Mike quite a few times over the years, even at my pop-up Slow Boy, um, all the way to, you know, uh, Chef Mariana from Azul and DJ from Milpa, um, which are great, you know, small, um, small operations, but they put out incredible food from scratch. Yeah, all the, both of those, um, I want to have them, uh, both of those chefs on to talk about how they make their tortillas from heirloom corn, and, and they're, they're both brilliant on that re, in that regard, and, and great chefs. So you are in the shadow of the Ogden? Yes. The, the Ogden, of course, being the, the hip kids high-rise downtown. <laughs> we had, a, we had um, Dan, Dan from Latai on a few weeks ago talking about how the years that that was the party spot downtown where he would take his garbage out and the people were having a party in the halls. So I'm sure you attended a few of those garbage parties. Never. <laughs> no, never. Um, and are you across from any stage, Justin? Um, yes, I am. Do you what know who you'll be able to watch are while you, you cook? Are you by the downtown stage? I'm yes. not sure. I think yeah, we are, we are across from the downtown stage. Cool. Yeah. And any other things that you would plug as culinary experiences that are not yours in particular? The test kitchen's open. Vegas test kitchen is open. Vegas test kitchen is open. We're transforming it into a Mardi Gras party. So there's actually going to be a, a cool installation on the front of it by Lucid Juliet. Inside will be completely like decked out. And uh, Christina, this mama's house, which you just heard also at the cookout, will be there. She's going to be doing shrimp po' boys. But we'll be doing hurricanes, caroyals, like all kind of fun. Do I have to flash anything to get beats? Maybe. Okay. Well, Maybe. I'll bring something flash. And then, There'll uh, be some red lights in the window if you want to jump in. Well, also, um, you know, within the Fergusons, while Omakasa Cantina is going and uh, Hatsumi, uh, Peyote will be open all three days for drinks and food. We have, you know, classic tri-tip sandwich on the fire, uh, burger, uh, vegan tacos, and then we're also doing a fried chicken sandwich. So, you know, all, all three days, Peyote is going to be providing something, and then we'll see everybody at the cookout on Sunday as well. Can I just say his fried chicken is amazing? I, you know, I feel like I'm going to have to sneak in. I'm going to have to find a band <laughs> that I know and come in through their tour bus because I didn't. I guess I say mean things sometimes. I don't get invited to all the cool kids shows. Uh, but no, it sounds amazing, and I encourage everybody. First of all, go to Life Is Beautiful. It's a tremendous show. Um, you either have to show proof of vax or um, a negative test. So make sure you have all that taken care of. By the time you're listening to this on Friday. 
If you don't already have a ticket, I believe there may still be some Life is Beautiful tickets available. I've been seeing some emails popping up lately. So, yeah, I think you can find a ticket. Yeah, check the website and see if you can get in because it is a great festival. It's one of the few festivals I've ever been to that was just outside on city streets, which is really what I love about it. The art there is fantastic. Um, even if you don't like the bands on the bill, which there's no reason not to like the bands on the bill, but you know, if you're, if you're too cool for school, it's still a fantastic festival to come to, to check out the, um, the art, the, the food, everything about it. So go to Life is Beautiful if you can. In the meantime, this is the part of my show where I like to review a cannabis edible every week. And, um, I went back and repurchased one of these. This is a fruit cereal treat from Ego Brands, and I had one of these sitting around my house, and I, I want to go back so I can show it to some other people. I'm going to try to open this thing up, and of course, I hate Ego Brands and everybody else in the cannabis world. Y'all need to get better packaging, because here, could you open that? I, I can never open the Ziploc on, so on any cannabis street. The Ziploc sucks. Fun of me, so I'm known for, I've got I'm known for ripping problems. these things. I'll give it to the chef. <laughs> Nobody can open it. Uh, anyway, so this, I'd say, is kind of like a um, a Fruit Loops bar, yeah. right? So along the same lines of people who make Rice Krispie treats. There you go, children. Oh, I open that for you. Oh, thanks, Is that Dad. just one large? Oh, okay. They're... This is about 100 milligrams. Okay. Um, it's, supposed to be, it's supposed to be chopped into little pieces where you can get a 10-milligram piece right. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, looks This one actually looks more like it's made out of Fruity Pebbles than Fruit Loops. I had another one from them that I really thought was Fruit Loops. It's probably generic fruit-flavored bargain and cereal they use. But here's the thing I notice when I get these baked goods. They look a lot less professional than other edibles. I mean, gummies look like they got their shit in order, right? Like they've got the stamp on it and they tell you and it's exactly 10 milligrams. This thing looks like a kid made it in his Play-Doh uh, barbershop or something. It's triangular. It is not even all the way through. But then they stamp the portion sizes. Basically, I'm saying you're, you're fucked if you think right. you're going to get an even 10 milligrams out of yeah. this. Like you just make sure that you're just holding up in your house and because you're not going to know uh, one side's thicker than the other another it's all gooey and ooey but i'm going to take a bite off of it i'll take the little guy the little crumb mm. that fell off here but i'll tell you the um jason you want some <laughs> i'll tell you that the um the fruit fruity pebbles or fruit loops or whatever they do a better job of masking that weed smell than um than rice krispie treats do first of all that extra dose of faux fruit sugar it tastes just like weed Wow. Well, if you think this is like cereal and I don't mean, want the Rice Krispie treats, right? they taste more like wheat. <laughs> I mean, it's still delicious. Like, yeah, it I'm tastes in, like I'm delicious like, totally okay with this. Yeah. But I don't know. I would not. You know, I got the first time I got one of these, I got it on sale for $5 for 100 milligrams. Well worth it. Well worth the bullshit. Um, last night, I think I paid about $25 for this one so I could bring it into you. I would find better ways. I'd probably get a, a batch of gummy. And I, I, like I, I hate overdoing it with gummies, um, but I would maybe go back and get those kale chips that I got from IA that Rick Moonen and I reviewed last week. Um, but anyway, this is, a, this is an okay bar, but really not, not my favorite thing that I've had. What do you guys say? I eat a lot of gummies. That's my go-to. Mm-hmm. And I do. I want to know exactly how many milligrams are in that because yeah, I, have to like, like I have to like microdose them. Yeah, so it doesn't completely knock me out unless that's what I'm going for. Justin? Uh I mean, it's definitely something I would snack on. Uh, I'm not the best with edibles because over years I just really haven't found something that, you know, hits me that well. Um, but I would find myself just snacking on this. Well, that's the problem. Something like this you just eat too much of. Yeah, that's right? the problem. And you guys could take that home with you because I don't want to end up not oh, getting anything okay. else done today. <laughs> but, you know, you can feed it to some of the bands who show up this oh. weekend. 
Anyway, that's it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thanks to all of our guests, Dan Cromer, Gino Bernardo, Justin Kingsley-Hall, Kim Owens, Jolene Menina. I don't think I forgot anybody. Um, next week, after everyone has washed off all the sweat and the sunscreen from Life is Beautiful, we're hoping you'll be ready to talk about Fancy Pants Las Vegas. So we will have two of the city's most fabulous reporters, Melinda Shekels and John Katsalamidis, join us for a discussion of where the beautiful people hang out when they want to see and be seen. Please tune in next week for that. Until then, please tell a friend about Food and Loathing. You can subscribe or follow at any podcast platform. And if you subscribe through Apple, please leave us a nice review. We'd also like your feedback and your likes and your retweets and all of that shit. So on social media, search Facebook for Food and Loathing. On Twitter, we're at at Food, and Lo- at food Loathing. Sorry. And on Instagram, find our very nice photos at Food and Loathing Pod. On behalf of Rich Johnson and Jason Harris, I'm Al Mancini reminding you to always stay hungry.